Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly podcast about everything going on in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Frank Washcook. I'm PR Week's executive editor, and I'll be your guest host for this week's podcast while our editorial director, Steve Barrett, is vacationing in Italy. But I have a terrific guest host with me uh, in our reporter, Ewan Larkin. Ewan, how are you? I'm doing very well, Frank. Thanks for having me back on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And we have a terrific guest for you this week in Jennifer Temple, EVP and Chief Communications Officer at HPE. Jennifer, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll we'll do our best to make uh, Steve proud of us here. Yes, we, w- we will try our best indeed. So, um, you know, I, I noticed looking back, you, you joined HPE after you worked at Wells Fargo uh, back in 2018. And you know, it feels like forever ago now. And, you know, every, everybody in every organization has been through a lot over the past few years. Uh, you know, how would you describe what your organization, your comms organization does now versus two years before the pandemic? How much has it changed? Oh, it's a great question. And what a journey it has indeed been for all of us. Um, it, the, the good news is I have always flocked to opportunities where brands have been in transition and have been evolving. And so, of course, this chapter has been no different. But I would say what what makes us different a couple of years post-pandemic is that I think we all just really got comfortable with having the best of intentions, the best of plans, scenario planning, understanding what everything could possibly shake out in, in terms of outcomes and then having to chuck all of that out the window. (laughs) So I think two years post-pandemic, we've learned to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and to know that even with the best of intentions and the best of plans, some days you're just going to call the audible Mm -hmm. and you're going to go where you're most needed. And the hallmark of our comms organization today, I think, is that we're very agile, we're very flexible, We have a lot of a better understanding on both business outcomes, business acumen, but also on empathy and on just knowing where we're needed the most and which audiences need to hear different things from us. So I I think it's really turned us into better listeners and as a result, better practitioners. That's a really interesting point you make about empathy. And I do think that that gets overlooked sometimes, wouldn't you say? Because it's, um, you know, I think people have the mentality of just getting the work done sometimes. And and that's an element that gets overlooked and maybe not as much as it used to. And I think that's a good thing, right? Yeah, agreed. I I mean, it's so hard to put things in in the the cliche of, well, we're better for having gone through this awful calamity, you know, but but the reality is we we are because I think it really forced us to ask ourselves the question of, is this tactic really the needed tactic? Is this the voice we really need to be having right now? I, you know, a lot of what I said in the pandemic still holds true today, which is be helpful or be quiet. So if you don't have something to say that's going to move something forward or be of huge assistance in a moment when people are looking to your brand or your leadership for advice, if you don't have something to be additive and constructive and useful, then stand down and let let those who do have something to contribute do that. So I, I do think it turned us into better practitioners in that way, because before, if we were more oriented around 
just speak as frequently as possible or as loudly as possible. I think now we're really speaking about relevance and about being in touch more so than perhaps we were before. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. And I think everybody, ourselves included, have, have developed a lot of new and different skills over the past couple of years. I mean, I, I never thought I'd be recording podcasts from home, <laughs> for instance, right? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And now sometimes it's easier to do it from home than it is back at the <laughs> office. So yes. it's, we're trying to get, get comfortable with that hybrid toggle back and forth. Yes, but shout out to our producer Bill here because we do have a we do have a really good studio in here, and, and nice. it's been a welcome welcome addition to the PR Week in the Haymarket family over the past few years, uh, and comfortable couches too. I love might it. Add. So, love yeah, it. no, it's it's great. Um, but like I just said, we're we're in the office right now, and I was thinking before the podcast about the last time that you and I chatted. I think was was for a feature a few years ago on uh, employee facing communications, and we yes. we heard all of these stats throughout the, the tougher parts of the pandemic on on top communications execs spending two-thirds of their time on employee communications mm. or, or, you know, at least the majority of their time. Is that still the case or is the, the pendulum kind of swung back to um, like, like a pre-pandemic more normal now? Oh, yes. The, is there even a definition of normal <laughs> would <Right>. be the <laughs> question. But I, I would say employee communications, internal communications will continue to be paramount and, and a huge priority for me, for HPE, and I, I really think for our profession. Um, so I, I guess in terms of swinging back, it, Perhaps there's been a little bit more normalcy creeping in where people are going to conferences again and traveling again and speaking, you know, publicly again and some of the things that had been turned off a bit in the pandemic. So perhaps some of those tactics and those opportunities have creeped, crept back into our daily um, communications rhythm. But never have I taken my eye off of the importance of team member communications. And in fact, so much so that we, we have a dedicated um, team within my, my structure that is organized around team member communications inclusive of digital and creative services so that we mm. can be speaking to our team members wherever they are. If they're in the office, then what opportunities and experiences exist for them to come together and collaborate to, in person? If they're remote, then how are those experiences getting better for them on our intranet and through storytelling that is bite-sized? You know, what can you learn about HPE in 60 seconds? Mm -hmm. What kind of Slack chats can exist for you to engage with leaders. So I think it is it is a huge priority, largely made so because of the pandemic, but it continues to be a priority because those team members are really the extension of our brand. They're the ones who talk about what it feels like to work with us, why we matter, why the world should care what we're doing. So I, I don't, I, I never envision a reality where we get to, um, back, if, if we were ever at a place where team member communications, employee communications was, was disregarded, I, you know, I don't see us ever getting to that, that place again. How do you balance it all, though? Because it's not like the other stuff went away during the pandemic and, and you're more busy than you ever were probably during the pandemic. How do you ba balance it all? 
It, it It's a good question. I have, even in my own personal life, I have tried to strike the word balance from my <laughs> life because, so in my personal life and in my professional life, I don't know that everything is in perfect harmony and balance at any given time. I think what we have is we have a series of choices that we get to make. So we, we are in control of choosing whether team mem- that team member audience, do they need to hear from our CEO that week because of something monumental that's occurred um, in society or because of some major change he's making? So what, what is that need and how are we serving that need? Or is the need external that week? Do they really need to get excited about what we're offering for customers? Do we need to turn up the volume on being able to shout from a megaphone our relevance and our importance to various external constituencies? So it's a series of choice points. And I think we get to choose every day and every week where we spend our time. I feel the same way about my personal time. <laughs> so I get to choose what I'm what I'm going to be um, really present for in my personal life. And I get to choose where the company needs me and where it's imperative that my team and my company need to hear from me that day. That's a very philosophical uh, answer about balance, I must say. So, yeah. so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. How are you and your team uh, handling FlexWork? Are you in the office a set number of days a week or a month? One of the things I've loved about HPE's approach is it's never been a mandate. And I think that's really served us well because people have been able to imagine and envision their new rhythm in a way that works for them and that is helpful to the company and to their group. So we are not in a specific day a week or a specific number of days a week. But what we charged our people leaders with doing is to establish norms that work for their work group. So if you're in the legal group or you're in the high performance computing group or you're in communications, your people leaders are deciding when do we need to come in to be able to brainstorm something, look at the roadmap, look ahead for the next you know 90 days and we need to sit together and kind of understand and appreciate that work. So when, when do we need to come in to do that? And when do we reserve time to be at home and when we can be on individual calls or be handling other things? So our communications group has set a couple of dates. We've, we, you know, we locally here in the San Jose office are here every Wednesday. Um, and, you know, we get together and have brainstorms and we do uh, some debriefs on things that have just ended. For instance, we just hosted our big customer event at the end of June. So we're having a debrief today on what that what that experience was like. What would we do differently? Um, so I think coming together on certain days of weeks and seeing me in the office and seeing each other in the office is helping encourage people to flex that muscle. But it's not a stated must be these three days must be you know this these many hours it's more let's have hybrid work for us in the way that it was intended i feel like that kind of policy is more of a rarity than it was even a few months ago i mean we're just hearing you know we're here in new york and we're hearing anecdotally about a lot of and and this is largely financial sector but otherwise uh, Mm -hmm. you know a lot of mandates coming down now you know uh starting in september uh you know got to be in the office four days a week you know five days a week in some cases so um you know i think the non-mandated approach is is a rarity and that's and and, um it, it sounds like it's working for you guys it's it's interesting in that 
I, I really think over maybe in the 2021, early 2022 period, there were a lot of really smart comms teams that, that would acknowledge that, um, you know, flex work and hybrid work was a whole new challenge. Mm-hmm. And maybe they they wish they had some do overs when they were when they were going through it the first time. Yeah, it's it's well stated that that there's so many different approaches to this and that I think everybody's experimenting. And I, I think that's the right approach, frankly. I don't think a single approach would work for every industry and every business. What I have liked about our approach is that it was it, it did begin before the pandemic. We started mm-hmm. an approach um, that has evolved over time post pandemic, but was really about helping people envision whether they needed to be in the office more than they weren't. So did they work in a lab? Were they an engineer that had to be with other engineers to problem solve something? So were they in a class of of team members that really had to have a dedicated desk and be here all the time? We Mm -hmm. called those office workers. Or were they someone who should come into the office two to three days a week, but who frankly can flex and have hoteling space available to them. And we called them edge workers because they worked at the edge, but they also came in and they collaborated and they used common spaces and they got things done together when that made sense. So we actually rolled that out before COVID. And Mm -hmm. people were starting to experiment with being a full-time office worker, a full-time edge worker coming in for communal space. And then when COVID happened, we just perpetuated that. (laughs) And so now we've done away with the modifiers of of office versus edge. And we've just called everybody a hybrid worker. And Mm -hmm. and we're asking people to come in and flex in the way that makes sense for their organization, their team, their work group, et cetera. I, I can only imagine how helpful that must have been, you know, just just having the the muscle memory, so to speak, before you Very before helpful. you went into the pandemic on that. Um, I want to get your thoughts on AI for a second, because it's it's something everybody's buzzing about. Um, you know, is, is your team using it? Uh, uh, if they if they are, how are they using it or what do you think it might turn into in the future? Oh, it's such a million big dollar question. question, right? It's such yeah. a big question. I mean, if I start from the. The, the highest levels, the, this is a place where HPE really does stand to have a huge significant opportunity as a business. Um, we have a very strong capability in supercomputing and mm. these big, powerful supercomputers can can really help customers kind of rethink their approaches. So you imagine healthcare applications where you can integrate medical history and genetic profiles and all kinds of things that help you um, solve patient problems better. You can imagine wind farmers is an example that that Antonio uses that, that can optimize the performance of their models so that they can be more efficient and harness energy better. So there are all these big applications that HPE can now extend our supercomputing capabilities into the enterprise. You don't have to be um, a big giant enterprise that had traditionally used supercomputers. You can now be a mainstream enterprise that's using the power of supercomputing to solve some of these problems. So for me, as a communicator, being at a company that has a lot to say on this topic and a lot to be gained from 
solving these customer problems is really compelling. Mm-hmm. As a, the second part of your question, we're we are very in the in the early stages of determining what and how we want to use it as a comms function. I think you know we're we're trying to understand what capabilities make sense for us versus what ones cause more risk than they may be worth. So I think we're still in an evaluation phase of what kinds of things do we want to be deploying as a communications um, entity. And in fact, our CMO, Jim Jackson, and I are having conversations about things that we might want to avail ourselves of that help brand and marketing and while also extending our reach on communications. But we, I, I don't have anything... Um, huge to report on what we're doing mm-hmm. as a comms entity, but our focus mm-hmm. in the last month or so has really been about telling the world what HPE can provide and where we'll be wa- you know, witnessing and watching and contributing to this bigger play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I caught up on an interview that, that you did internally um, uh, about you know, re- really promoting women in the workplace and women executives. And I think this was March or, uh, this year. Uh, and it seemed to be something you're really passionate about. I wanted to ask you more about that and, and how, how you personally go about that, because I think it's such a, it's such a big topic within this industry. Um, but also how your organization does it and, and, you know, what are the initiatives you've worked on there? Yeah, great question. And I so appreciate first that you raise that question and that in your reporting that's covered. And and I think it's something that we all are learning from each other on and grappling with. Um, When I first came to the company, there was one other woman on the executive committee, our, our CIO at the time and myself, and then she departed. And for a long time, I was the only female executive reporting directly to our CEO. And that was a lonely spot. And it was also Mm. a spot that Antonio was not happy about, my Mm -hmm. boss, the CEO, and wanted to make that change. And he did. He very intentionally has gone about um, promoting an executive into the role of heading a business. Our HPE financial services business is now run by a woman. Our chief technology officer is now a woman. And so, you know, it's been a very intentional commitment on the part of a company who understandably works as part of an industry that has a lot of room for improvement in this space. But I've been pleased and proud to have a voice in that and to champion it at the executive level. We also very proudly have half of our board of directors are um, diverse. We've got five female board of director members. And um, that's something that we're, we're hugely proud of as well. So we, so at an executive level, I'm proud to work at a company that gets it, that knows we have room for improvement. In terms of what I personally do about it, I try to make time to talk to anyone who is interested in career advancement, development, sponsorship. I try to make sure that the engineers know to come and talk to me. We may not speak exactly the same career language, but to be able to talk about what they're wrestling with, if it's hard for them to speak up in a room full of male engineers, can I give them some tips on what that looks like. I, you know, I've tried to empower them to when they're going to go in and make a compelling, provocative point of view, do they do they align themselves with someone else before they go into that room who can support them in the room? Do they ask for feedback on how it landed? Do they 
do they seek out, you know, um, allies? So I try to make sure that I'm speaking to everyone, not just communicators, about what it feels like to be a woman executive at a technology company. And I think those shared experiences go a long way to, to kind of breaking down that, you know, I wrestle with it too. I'm vulnerable too. I don't always get it right. And I think people hearing from me on that is, is hopefully inspiring. Good points raised. Um, I know you worked at Hill and Knowlton uh, a while ago already, but you know it's funny, and I'm not, I'm not insinuating anything here. But we've had a lot of top uh, in-house people moving back to the agency side. Mm. You know, Corey DeBrowa from, from uh, Alphabet, of course, and, and some others. Uh, do you ever miss the agency world? I I would say I always miss the agency world, and but that doesn't mean I don't equally love the world I'm in. But the the agency world in many ways, I feel was core to the the development of who I became as a mm. communicator. Um, I mean, first of all, my one of my very first gigs was working for Edelman in opening the Sacramento office. So there was no Sacramento office before a former Pete Wilson gubernatorial press secretary, press secretary, uh, Franz Wisner was his name, and I opened the doors of Edelman's first Sacramento office. And so doing that very young in my career, early in my career, and having to sort of uh, broker those relationships with clients and understand what they what they needed and wanted from a full service public affairs shop was really educational, informative, and helpful. It also very much schooled me in, in the art of media relationships and building those relationships over time. And then fast forward to when I spent um, nine years at Hill and Knowlton and doing everything from running the San Francisco office to um, overseeing our largest global account, which ironically was HP. <laughs> so I boomeranged in some ways back to now HPE, but um, account driven and team driven, I just learned so much from that agency stint about um, relationships, empathy, client service, excellence, accountability. There's so many things that I try to practice in my day job that I learned at the hands of being a part of an agency that I, I do miss it. But I miss it in a good way because I feel like it continues to remind me of the communicator that I became. Do you think it's better for our young professionals to start out on the agency side rather than the in-house side, or does it just depend? I think it depends. I think that's a hard one to say um, that it's resolutely better one way or the other. I do say to anyone who seeks out my my mentoring advice that everyone should spend a stint at an agency. Mm. I just think it makes us better. And so whether you started in-house and then you find your way to an agency or whether you start in an agency and you find your way into a, another specialization, I think having that experience is really helpful. Um, it, number one, it also teaches you a lot about business acumen. So it, in addition to all the things I rattled off about client service, service excellence, accountability, all of those things, I think learning how to run a P&L and a balance sheet and how to staff teams so that you're being the most effective for your client and you're using their money and spending it the way you would spend your own. I think just some very um, practical advice in running a business comes at the hands of an agency. 
Fair enough. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for all of that. Let me throw it over to you and now for the biggest marketing and communications news of the week. Ewan, if you would tell us about Walmart's new chief communications officer. Yeah, absolutely, Frank. Walmart has named Yum Brand's chief corporate affairs officer, Allison Park, as its SVP and chief communications officer, effective on July 26th. Park will be replacing Brian B. Sensini, who left Walmart last September to join Boeing as SVP and chief communications officer. She'll be reporting to Dan Bartlett, Walmart's EVP of Corporate Affairs, just as B. Sensini's former direct reports have since his departure. Uh, in an internal memo seen by PR Week, Bartlett said Park's ability to look at comms through a wide corporate affairs lens will serve the company well as it develops as a people-led, tech-powered, omni-channel retailer dedicated to helping people save money and live better. A lot of buzzwords in that. Yeah, statement. absolutely. Uh, but yeah. Um, but in terms of her former responsibilities, a Yum Brand spokesperson told us that the company's corporate affairs team will be uh, will report in the interim to Tracy Skeens, mm-hmm. chief operating officer and chief people officer, um, and that'll happen until Park's permanent successor is found. Good luck to her. It's a big role when you think about how much Walmart just touches in terms of retail, pharmacy, grocery. Um, e-commerce, all these different things. I mean, it's it's just such a mammoth company and so important to small communities across the country. So, um, yeah, we'll be watching to see what she brings to that position. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about Omnicom's Q2 numbers, specifically the PR numbers. Yeah, yeah. Probably let's... not what what Chris Foster, the CEO of, of Omnicom PR Group, wanted to be yeah. disclosing yesterday. But tell us a little bit about the numbers and also... Omnicom CEO John Wren's comments that he made on AI during the earnings call. Yeah, let's start with the PR earnings. Omnicom's group's PR firms reported a flat organic uh, revenue growth in Q2, up just about 0.1% to $393.6 million in the period. Those results compared to Q2 22, where organic revenue rose nearly 16%, and during which the industry was rebounding from the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Omnicom's PR firms, which of course include Fleischman, Hillard, Ketchum, and Marina Mar Communications, were outpaced by the holding company as a whole, which saw about 3.4% revenue increase to $3.6 billion in Q2. Uh, the holding company also saw organic revenue growth across all of its business sectors, excluding execution and support, which dropped 3.8%. And notably, Experiential uh, jumped 9.2%. And we're looking to see what other holding companies, including Interpublic, uh, will report this week and beyond for Q2. What did John Wren say about AI? John Wren said a lot about AI. He actually spent the, the bulk of his... He, re- open- he really did, didn't he? Yeah. It was fairly remarkable in that how much time he spent on this earnings call. Yeah, it AI. took up about the the majority and the bulk of his opening remarks during their earning call yesterday. Yeah. Um, he talked a lot about the holding company's generative AI investments and partnerships. Over the past few months, they've made a plethora of those partnerships and investments, including first mover access to Adobe's Firefly diffusion model, an integration with Google Cloud's Vertex generative AI platform, um, and a couple more as well. But uh, I think what was notable is he said that Omnicom is responding with AI as if its hair was on fire and that the company wants to be leaders in this area. And he did say that generative AI will have a profound effect on Omnicom, while also cautioning that AI can never replace the inspiration and genius that comes from our people and creativity. He did add that in the long run, he sees generative AI as a driver of organic growth, as it will make people more efficient at their jobs, while also making it easier to prove to clients the ROI on every dollar spent. So yeah, full steam ahead on AI for Omnicom. But like the hair on fire, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would tend to agree it's going to make smart people better, but I, I think you know we all do have some concerns about what jobs it's going to affect. 
yeah. you know, and, and, and what jobs it might do away with. And that, that I think is shared across the board. Ulta Beauty will be looking for a new uh, top communications executive. That's right. Yeah. Ulta Beauty VP of PR Island Ziesemer has left the company after about three and a half years. Uh, she told PR Week that she left the company last week and said the rest of the PR team will pick up her responsibilities while she's gone. Uh, she added that she's taking time to pause and reflect and be present with her family, but confirmed that she'll be back in the game soon. Uh, Zizimer joined Ulta as its comm head just four days after the retailer stores closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020. And she was the, notably, she was the de- uh, the PR department's first leader. So I think a lot of people, including us, will be keeping an eye on where she pops up. Absolutely. Absolutely will be. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's edition of the PR Week. You and thank you for co-hosting. And Jennifer, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us uh, on this episode of the PR Week. We will see you all again next Thursday morning for the next edition of the PR Week. (laughs) 